Pam Allen is the co-author of Every Child, a Super Reader, Seven Strengths for a Lifetime of Independence, Purpose, and Joy. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me today. Well, we've got the back-to-school jitters for some of our kiddos. We are going to talk about five strategies to help kids return to school with confidence. Definitely. Having back-to-school jitters is a very normal feeling. Your kids will get it. You'll get it. Teachers definitely have it. It never really goes away. But with that, there's adrenaline, too. I think there's an excitement that anything's possible, that you can reinvent yourself every year, whether you're an adult or a child. And I think that's the beauty of that feeling of back to school is that there's so much potential in it to do your best. Back to school means so much more now after the years that we've had. I've traveled a lot this summer visiting through the summer school season, and I never heard so many children say how glad they were to be in school. While we have that little opening of a window, we should all open it and really let that breeze in because this has been a very, very difficult two and a half years to say the least. Our children not being able to be with friends, having to be afraid. We were all afraid. It's a lot of trauma in that and people losing uh, losing a lot in this process. I think that coming back to school is something so safe. It feels so beautifully routine. And that was all disrupted during these periods. So I think while that is true, the thing we should remember about children is how resilient they are and how quickly they bounce forward. I don't even say bounce back, they bounce forward. They're amazing that way. So while you might be feeling a lot of the heaviness of these last two years, you don't really need to bring that back so much. Let them go forward into this year feeling a sense of excitement and positivity and optimism. If you see that they seem especially anxious or they're concerned about being healthy and well, then those are things to sit down and talk to them about for sure. Don't assume that your children are going to stay in the past. They really do love to move forward. And I think we have a great opportunity to create something really wonderful as we go forward. I have five easy strategies, I think, that can really help us all find a good peace of mind and a sense of well-being as our children leave us to go back into the school. And also for them, too, to just to have everyone feel a sense of well-being. So number one is to really in a very intentional way to organize a home workspace for your child. So when they're getting ready to go to school, especially since we've all been living and working at home for so long, is to actually give them a new, fresh way of looking at their space because they're going to go to school and then they're going to come home from school. They're going to have a lot of homework. Everything's going to get back into gear. Create a home space that feels good for them. Um, make sure you have the supplies and materials they need. Um, if that's hard to do, definitely have a one-to-one -one talk with your child's teacher. Something can always be done and managed on the school side. But make sure your children feel there's a cozy nook for them at home, even if it's not a big nook. It can be the corner of your living room. It can be the corner of their bedroom. It doesn't have to be fancy. Number two is really collaborate with your children on life habits, like eating and sleeping, because those are things that even especially in the summer, all of us, we stay up too late. The sun is out forever. You know, the, everybody is kind of in a different space. So don't just load them up with it, but actually sit beside them and create a plan and say, I know it's not going to be easy the first week going to bed earlier. So let's do like a graduated earlier to bed each night. Let's not just suddenly say, okay, seven o'clock bedtime because 
last year it was a seven o'clock bedtime. No, it, it's it's going to be different. Your child's a year older now, for one, but also just really thinking about how you can collaborate together. Same thing with snacks and eating, um, really making sure that you they know that you're really valuing that they really need to be refreshed and rejuvenated, um, not to judge things that people love, like sweet treats that a child might also like, but really to invite them to create ways to, let's say they come home from school, not to have to jump right into homework, but to sit with a book with you and some nice, lovely snacks, invite them to collaborate with you on what those snacks could be. Um, and then number three, establishing a read aloud ritual. We always think about read aloud as being a bedtime ritual. It doesn't have to be. It can be the first thing you do when your child gets home from school or the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning before they go to school. It doesn't have to be very long. It can be a poem. It can be a, a brief excerpt from a chapter book or a picture book, but reading aloud to your child without any pressure on them, not to say what, what words do you know, what's your vocabulary, but really just let it be a joyful moment and create that ritual and talk to your kids about it. Say, we're gonna always have a book before we go to bed, but let's tuck another read aloud into the day because read alouds really help our kids. They grow as readers, writers, speakers, and listeners. Number four is make a vision board together. Actually make a plan for the year. What's their hope and dream for themselves as students this year? By the way, if you ask a five-year-old that, they're gonna give you a very poetically beautiful response put up a board in their room or even just against the wall, cut pictures out of magazines. If they can draw, let them draw some of the vision that they have for themselves this year as a learner. Ask them to make a hope and dream for themselves. Would they like to make new friends? Do they wanna try learning something new? Do they feel like they weren't so great at math last year? They'd like to get better at it. So making a vision board together and then add to it as the year goes on. And then last but not least, number five, be honest and open about what might feel hard and how can you be helpful? And just say to them, if you have a hard day, if you feel like a moment doesn't feel so good, just know I'm always here for you and I'm ready to help. And actually just to say that out loud, whether your child is five or 15, I can't tell you how much that helps. And repeat that each and every week, even if that's like your Friday afternoon saying, it's just, it, was there anything this week that didn't feel good? And just know I'm here for you. I'm your biggest fan and to just be really positive. So those are my five five strategies for getting the year off to the right start. So what brought you to this, to write a book? Every Child a Super Reader, for us, for myself and Dr. Morell, is really a life work. We've been educators in the practice of um, literacy for our both of our entire careers. We've spent a lot of time alongside children. Um, we've built programs that are now used in school districts across the country and around the world. And we really wanted to say to, to teachers and to parents that a lot of what happens when a child learns to read is emotional. It is about building confidence and building courage. And you know, you get to a hard part in a book and if you're a little bit insecure, you might put the book down, but when you're confident and courageous, you keep going. And so I really you know, felt, I mean, Ernest and I have worked together for many, many years and we felt that it was something that maybe hadn't been said enough, that connection between social emotional development and academic achievement hadn't really been forged. People talk about one or the other, but we really wanted to say how much goes into really fortifying a child's mind and spirit as a reader is a lot about saying, what are the conditions that will make that possible? So we felt that we, you know, we had something to say, and then we went out in the field and we practiced it and we saw our dreams come true. And we really wanted to write about that. 
I had been a reader my whole life. I don't know when we started, but I was always a reader. And my sister and I today were talking about how these childhood books that you read set the precedence for what you look for as adults. So when you look at a book that you really like now as adult, what was the standard? And often it was those early childhood books that began to set the precedent for what we're going to like and what we're going to look for and what's important. All of this starts so early and yet it's never also never too late. So like if you didn't start early, it's never too late. A lot of the work that myself, that Ernest and I do is often with older kids who didn't get that early, early experience. And we start right from the beginning with them. We do a lot of early childhood books. We read aloud to them and, and the kids absolutely love it. But I think from the very beginning, we can set sort of set in motion a lot of the things about reading, writing, literacy for a child that will be for the rest of their lives really important. So everything from marinating them in amazing vocabulary to um, just the sound and rhythm of the, all that phonemic sound that's so important to, to the mind as the mind is learning to read is also really fun and enchanting and beautiful and happens right from the very beginning. So it's it's really powerful. And we talk about every child as super reader. We mean every child. And we also mean super, like really super, like really think big when it comes to reading, because reading is the linchpin for all learning. It it's affects everything a child does in school, every single subject area. It affects every leadership opportunity they have, whether they're, you know, the look at like a football coach, a, a football quarterback has to read the playbook. And it, those quarterbacks tend to be people who do very well in school academically because they're the ones that have to read all the plays and, and interpret them to their, their, their players. So I always say that reading is what you can do for your child earlier than anything else. And if you yourself feel a little bit insecure about reading yourself, Luckily, reading children's books, even reading through the pictures, even just sort of making up your own stories as you read, that all works, like any of that works. It doesn't have to be um, too fancy. You don't have to be a lifelong reader yourself to pass that along to your child. And I would be honest with my child too. You know, you can say to your children, reading wasn't easy for me, but I know how much I want you to love it. And so we're going to do this together. And um but, but it is something to begin with. It's in myself, I, I have a five month old grandson and, you know, as much as I've talked about these things and taught people about these things over the years, it's, it, there's nothing like seeing it again firsthand to see how absolutely shockingly important it is and how much I already feel like we're giving him such a leg up just by reading to him. And it it's not, you know, again, the books we're reading to him, we're reading over and over again. So it doesn't have to be that you have a million books either. And you bring up a good point because this is a place where aunts and uncles and grandparents can fill in the gaps. If you have a busy parent that maybe a single mom, how can we help? Well, what about reading? And sometimes oh. it feels too simple, but it's such a huge thing that we can give as a gift. Oh, yes. That's, that's such a great point. And I could not agree with you more. That is a huge gift. We can give our busy daughter or son or son-in-law, daughter-in-law, um, to, you know, let them have a break and sit be with your grandchild. It's a great bonding mechanism. Um, in Every Child a Super Reader, we have a really beautiful book list at the end of the book um, that has books organized by all the different strengths and um, confidence, courage, hope, belonging, friendship, kindness. And so those are great places to go to get book ideas. 
Um, and I think, you know, just don't be too um, cautious, I would say, you know, every book you read aloud isn't going to be so great, but it doesn't matter. It's just the fun of it. And then, you know, as the baby grows and the baby points to pictures and as they get older, don't stop reading aloud because your child goes off to school or because they seem like they can read on their own because reading is still very bonding and you can read books and poems and articles to your child that they might not even be thinking about reading on their own. So it's a great opportunity to bring the read aloud with you as long as you possibly can throughout your child's lifetime of experience. Now you talked about a website and that you have activities for families. Can you tell us what that website is and some of those activities? Yeah, so um, my colleague, my co-author, Dr. Ernest Morell and I have um, created a new initiative for families uh, called Dewey. And we have a website, it's called deweycommunity.com. And right now, the only way that you can actually get access to Dewey is either if your company or your school district purchases a subscription for the community, then you are invited in. Eventually, we hope everyone will get access to all of Dewey. But for right now, what we've done is we've created uh, with uh, a team of experts in every subject area, we've created a beautiful array of experiences and activities that parents and grandparents, caregivers can do at home with their children offline. So it's not a computer program enough, enough is enough with, there's a lot of technology out there. So it's really basically meant to say, take the time with your child. It, it is a platform. So you can, you can get access it on your phone. You can access it anywhere you go. Um, but some of the activities that we have on there are things like draw and create a heart map with your child. So, you know, draw a map of the heart and then invite your child to doodle, draw, or create words um, that represent their heart inside that, um, that drawing, and then share your maps of the heart with your family. Uh, my colleague, Georgia Hurd, came up with this idea many years ago, and I use it in my work all the time, and we've had that featured on, on Dewey. Another um, activity is use found objects in your home to create um, a STEAM activity. So for um, science, technology, engineering, and math. We have activities on Dewey that really, like in one case, um, my my colleague shows how you can take a, a paper bag, a plastic bag, a couple of clothespins, and make this really cool series of pulleys. Um, the other thing um, we do a lot of on Dewey is really um, using what you already have in front of you. So like we, it might be like, you know, you, you went to the supermarket together, you're all in a rush, you bought a bunch of fruits and vegetables, you're gonna get around to cooking them at some point. But in the meantime, while you're making dinner, set those fruits on the kitchen table and talk to your child or even show them online pictures of still life um, paintings that, that great artists have done and invite your child to actually make a painting of some of their supermarket produce that you've just brought home of and call it a still life, you know, and then that can be hung in the kitchen. So these are all things that are really, uh, they seem simple, but they're actually really powerful because they are about learning. They're about being together. They're about bonding. And they're also about a kind of intentional approach to home learning that feels rich and feels like you're living in and tapping into the closeness between you and your child. I remember growing up, parents weren't that involved. And I know that when I raised my kids, they asked us to read, which for me was no big deal, but they wanted more parent participation. What about that child that maybe doesn't have that? As for Dewey, I mean, one of the reasons we did start Dewey is because we wanted everybody to get access. So really to advocate, if you're 
your kids to go to public school, you know, I, I share the Dewey Community website around with administrators and just to say, let's give this to everybody in the entire school district. Like, why should some parents get to do this and others not? One place I think got really hurt during COVID, and I hope that we can support as we all come back into the world again together, is the public library. I think that um, they, they're always doing innovative things there. And I think sometimes those things go a little bit unnoticed and under the radar. And I think, you know, bring back some of these old fashioned yet wonderful things. Like let's actually advocate for our public libraries and for the funding that, that needs to be there because they're doing so many amazing things. I don't want public libraries to just be for people, you know, going and, and, you know, sort of between things. Like we should be taking our kids there. And we should be like leaving with like piles of books. There's a new study that just came out literally last week um, called the NAEP study, N-A-E-P. Um, and it's a, it's a National Association of Educational Progress study. And it's basically shown that children who get access to books in hand, print books, are doing performing up to 20 points better in school than children who are just reading books online. And this is kind of a shock because you think that technology is just always good for everybody. But what they've found is that that is not the case. And I think something that Ernest and I are doing, we talk about a lot in Every Child is Super Reader is really be very varied in what you're exposing your kids to. But that goes back to access also. We wanna make sure every kid in the community has access to great books. So if you see that there's what what we sometimes refer to as book deserts, you know, make it your habit to, to end those book deserts. It, whether it's whenever you buy a book for your child, buy another book for another person's child, or really advocate to your school board, or maybe you're on your school board, to make sure that every child in the district gets a little pack of books to go home with them before vacations, before school's out in the summer, during summer, anytime there are those times when children might not be around books, um, to make sure that they can all be super readers, not just some. For me growing up, the summer reading program was everything. And uh, I mentioned earlier, we had a bookmobile. And so when you say stacks of books, we took as many as they let us. And we probably read every single one we took. I think that it's easy with technology to kind of go, well, this is the new norm. But I, I love what you said is, let's hang on to this old fashioned thing about picking up a book and reading, reading the words. And even if you are, I don't know the word, but if, if you're passionate about that and your kids have friends over, read them a poem, make it a thing. And they will be, that's the mom that always wants to read us something. I mean, it's a way of keeping that connection. So I love that. Absolutely. And what I love about this new study is that it's just reinforcing what we feel emotionally that, you know, when people say to me, okay, yes, but, you know, we want to make sure they do that. And so I feel incredibly vindicated because I'm, you know, I, I, I love, listen, I love reading on any, whether it's on the device or holding a book in hand, I'm a voracious reader, but I do, I am worried about our kids. I actually do think that I actually do think too much of this technology is not so good. And I love to see the study that's actually saying children performing academically better when they get access to books in print so that it doesn't feel like we're just these book 
fanatics over here on the right, but actually we're, we're, everyone's together in this. I think we can all agree on this. It's just a wonderful thing for children to carry around books, for them to put them in their backpacks, for them to, you know, I picture you at the bookmobile on your little island going and then sitting in a cozy spot. I want everyone to have that. And I think that one thing I really admire about our public school system is that I think there are unheralded heroes in this because throughout COVID, they were really doing a lot of sending books home and um, also sending technology home, which was very important to keep in touch with the teachers. I think that we need to keep supporting our school districts and really um, saying positive things to teachers, really giving them um, affirmation because that's just a hard road that they've had to travel in these last few years. And I want them to know how much, how heroic I think they are for giving kids so much access to the experience of reading. I'm all about asking questions. And I know it's so easy as a busy parent to go read, do your homework, but you have this section where you give the parents questions to ask to help build confidence. Yeah, so I'm a real big fan of questions also. And I love open-ended questions for to ask children because I think we often ask questions that already have predetermined answers when we talk to children. And so then we don't really get the full scope. So in order to build confidence in our children, um, some of the ways that I really support into that as an educator for people interested to know what to do as parents at home is rather than say, you know, what's the book about, or rather than say, um, what happened at school today? Um, I like to ask questions that are a little more interesting. So like, what are you wondering about in the book that you're reading right now? Or um, what was a surprising moment for you at school today? So you're asking questions that one, there actually isn't any right answer for. And two, you're asking a question you genuinely do not know the answer to. Because when you ask open-ended questions like that, you're setting the stage for your children to feel that they have their own voice and they have their own power. And they're, if you are asking them, what are you wondering about as you're reading, you can't come up with what that is. And they can't, you can't say to them, oh, you're not allowed to say, or that's not the right answer. So that does build confidence. I think our children really are excited about what they're learning a lot of the time. And I think sometimes when parents get frustrated, they'll say to me, I asked my kid what happened at school and they say nothing. And I say, well, I think sometimes the question needs to be rephrased. Is it what surprised you? Um, what was one thing that really stood out to you that you'd like to learn more about? Or anything even about, you know, things like who did you work with today that felt like that person helped you feel more confident as a learner? And if they say nobody, I didn't really feel good about that at all, then that's then you know something about your child, something that perhaps might need a little bit more of your time and thought and maybe perhaps even a conversation with the teacher. So every response you get isn't always going to be positive, but it gives you more insight into your child's life and it makes things a lot more I think a lot more meaningful for you in conversation with your child. We're talking with the co-author of Every Child, a Super Reader, Pam Allen. So two questions before we go. What's your favorite book right now? Oh, that is, oh my gosh. Wow. My favorite book right now. Well, right now I'm on a real um, Jennifer uh, Weiner kick. Um, she writes books that Oh my gosh, I don't even know the latest one. I have it in my backpack, but she's written a million books and I've just been reading her all summer. I'm kind of in a like author obsession with her. I think she's just amazing how she makes you just not want to put books down and they're always kind of cozy. So nothing horrible happens in them. Everything always turns out all right at the end. So she, Jennifer Weiner. And as far as a book 
like a specific book that has really stood out for me this summer. There's a book by a woman by the name of Suleika Juad. She was very sick. She's actually sick again now, unfortunately, but she wrote a blog in the New York Times called Life Interrupted about having cancer at the age of 21. And then she wrote a book, the book that I just recently read this summer is called Between Two Kingdoms. And it's really about the sort of world of the sick and the world of the well. And she's a very young woman. She's only in her 30s now. And unfortunately, her cancer has returned. But her, that book is a, a transcendent, inspirational, courageous, brilliant human, human and humane story. You don't have to know the backstory. She'll tell you her. it's a memoir. But she also makes you feel incredibly hopeful for the future. So I highly recommend it. Thank you for sharing that. And the, the question my sister asked her book club, which I loved, is, what is the book that holds the standard that for you that set the standard for your reading? Oh my gosh, that is the best question. Tell your sister I love that question. And I, I hope she doesn't mind. I'm going to borrow it to and credit her with that. That's awesome. I'm without hesitation for me always, it, it's Charlotte's Web. There is no more perfect book that has ever, in my opinion, been written. That book is literally perfection it's 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 just it 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 has everything in it it has drama it has character it has tragedy it has humor um and it's not too long so it's good for that too um for those of you listening who might not love to read long um but also eb white was a genius you know someone asked him why do you write for children and he said, oh, I don't write for children. They're just my most intelligent audience. <laughs> and he, that's correct. You know, to me, Charlotte's Web is not a just for children. It's a book about life and death and about friendship. And there's never been a time I haven't read that book aloud when I haven't ended in tears, a wash in tears. So how a one book can do that over a thousand readings? I've never met a book like that. So that's mine. What's yours? Do you have one? We were talking about that and everyone in her book club could not come up with one, but she said, Christy. And I remember when we read, Oh, I love that book. Yeah. And I think oh. that, yeah, that's that, because like you say, there's hope and there's all the ups oh. and downs and you're crying and you're laughing and yeah. And you fall in love with yes. the character, you know, and when the yes. book's over, it's so sad. <laughs> so sad. And you know, I, that's what I say to parents, like, don't worry when your child wants to reread a book, because, you know, th sometimes the reason is just because they don't want to say goodbye to those characters. And that's something you could say to your child is, I know that you want to reread when you don't want to say goodbye to those characters. And what a wonderful thing to say to your child, rather than, oh, you've read that before, you shouldn't read that again. No, because I mean, Christy, oh, that was such a great book. I loved it. Thanks to you and your sister for reminding me about that book. Well, thank you so much, Pam. Thanks so much.